Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. When the Fed raises rates, these banks are being caught in the undertow. This was not a failure of regulation. It was a failure of bank management. February CPI. The Consumer Price Index. It wasn't worse than expected. They're still got an inflation problem. Iowa. Do we love it? Run the sanctus, the sanctimonious, the sanct. We don't even know if he's running. What's the governor going to do next? Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a Tuesday. Tom, Benny, and Clark with you. So it was about a week ago that House Joint Resolution 235 passed the House. What is uh, Joint Resolution 235? It is uh, an application for a convention of states uh, that we need... I believe it's 34 states to pass this resolution in the House and in their Senate uh, in each state for Congress to call a a convention of states. Last year, it was House Bill 233 that passed the House. It failed in the Senate. Uh, This new joint resolution, 235, as, as I said, has passed the North Carolina House. It's now on its way to the Senate. There is a lot of effort going forth to have a convention of states. We've been talking about this for years. Prior to his death in 2020, uh, Senator Tom Coburn was involved in this uh, convention of states. Uh, We had him on the program. We've talked to – recently we talked to David Walker. Um, David Walker is in one organization that's trying to get a convention of states going. There is another organization, and uh, representing that organization with us this afternoon is Michael Ferris. He is a senior advisor to the convention of states, and he's also hosting a town hall. Tonight, uh, the town hall will be in the Greenville area at the Stokes Family Farm, 3674 Ivy Road in Greenville. Tomorrow night... Uh, By the way, the one tonight is from um, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Tomorrow night from 6.30 to 8 p.m. to the southern part of our listening area, there will be another town hall dealing with this at the uh, Community Arts Center at 120 South 2nd Street in Wilmington. Um, Michael Harris, welcome to News and Views. Good to have you with us. Great. It's good to be with you. Uh, so am I correct, um, in that, uh, there, there is some headway being made towards, uh, enough states getting on board? Where are we with this? Well, there are a couple of different applications that are going on out here. Ours has made the most headway. Um, I'm with, I'm the co-founder of the Convention of States project that Tom Coburn was a part of. And so that's, it's one and the same. And, um, our application uh, asks for three things for a convention to talk about three topics. One is fiscal restraints on the federal government. The second is term limits on federal officials, which would include not just members of Congress, but could be judges, bureaucrats, and any, any federal official. And then the third is um, reductions of federal jurisdiction and power. And so um, we're the, you know, basically the federalism uh, effort to try to return power from Washington, D.C. to the states and to the people. And so um, I started doing this uh, when I was still uh, active in the Homeschool Legal Defense Association that I founded 40 years ago this month. And, um, and then and I, but I, I left Convention of States for six years as an employee because I became the president of Alliance Defending Freedom. And I, I did that for six years and recently retired from that. And so I'm still part-time with ADF. We 
who are the lawyers behind the Dobbs case, uh, and we helped write the law from Mississippi, helped defend it in the Supreme Court with the Attorney General's office there. And so, um, you know, having come off of that that successful run, I. Uh, I'm glad to be back and helping Convention of States as well. I, I was going to say, your resume makes me tired just to read it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you also started Patrick Henry College. Uh, yeah, on, on your spare time, do you do brain surgery? Yeah. I mean, you are in everything. But uh, thank you for yeah. your work. I mean, this is tremendous. Yeah, I play a little rock and roll guitar. <laughs> well, listen, now, now the, the whole idea behind these um, – uh, what you would propose for a convention of, of states, it is limited to those three things. In other words, you can't just say we're going to have a convention of states and then we'll decide what we're going to do. You have to be very specific. Although within those specific uh, three points that you just lined up, the limiting the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, that does seem pretty broad. Does it have to be any more uh, defined before you get together with a convention of states? No, it, that th- there's three phases of of this, and the first phase is setting the general agenda. The second phase is drafting the amendments, and the third phase is um, ratifying whatever amendments are proposed. And so, at this agenda setting stage, setting it generally is um, been a, been the general practice. Although we've never had one, there's hundreds of these um, of uh, requests for conventions that have been passed by the states over the last 200 plus years, but we've never had two-thirds of the states ask for the same topic. And so if 34 requests were enough, we would have had 10 conventions by now or some big number. And so we've never had two-thirds on the same topic. And so our topics, 19 states have adopted this exact formula. And, And so we're trying to get North Carolina to be the 20th, and, you know, we'll continue on until we get 34 because... Um, the reason we have Article 5 in the first place uh, comes from the last week of the Constitutional Convention, because up until that point, uh, the, the proposal on the table at the time was all amendments had to be proposed by Congress, and they all had to be ratif- or, you know, ratified or not by the states. And George Mason stood up and said, look at guys, and I'm obviously paraphrasing, um, he, he said, there's going to be a day when the federal government abuses its power, and when that day comes, we can't expect that Congress will propose an amendment limiting its own power. That's right. not going to happen. And so they, they have held the Christian view of man, and basically they didn't want one group of senators deciding how much power they should have. Rather, they, they said, no, let's have a different group of senators decide how much power that other group has. And so they wanted the states to decide how much power Congress should have. So you want to boil it down to its most basic terms. Should the states decide how much power the federal government should have, or should the federal government make that decision? Because we've been doing it one way for 200-plus years, and it's, it, we've gotten into real trouble. And so um, we, need to, we need to do this. Now, one quick example of, of, a, of an exact amendment that could come out would be to impose a single-subject rule on Congress, which means you can't pass bills with all kinds of stuff jammed in the same bill, mm-hmm. like the bill that was passed in December with probably at least a hundred different pieces of legislation all jammed to something that was four or five thousand pages long. And if you if you'd have tried to pass those things individually, first of all you couldn't have gotten the floor time uh, to do all that nonsense. And then secondly, some of it would fail. And so one way to decrease the impact of the federal government is stop all this log rolling nonsense and this this jamming these porks into pork bills into 
this huge package. And so um, I think that, you know, that's an example of something that could come out of this convention. And I think would, in fact, be ratified by 38 states because it's got to be pretty simple, straightforward uh, to, to have a chance of, of getting ratified. We're talking to Michael Harris, he's senior advisor for the Convention of States organization there in eastern North Carolina with two town halls, one tonight at the Stokes Family Farm at uh, 3674 Ivy Road. That'll start at 6 o'clock tonight. Tomorrow night, they're in Wilmington for the listeners in the southern part of our uh, radio broadcast. Uh, that will take place at the uh, Community Arts Center, 120 South 2nd Street in Wilmington. That starts at 6 o'clock, uh, 630 uh, Michael, this is Benny. Uh, Tom, Tom and I talked about, you know, we have talked about the, an Article 5 convention for at least a couple of three years, and it seems like it's been getting legs. But in, in the last couple of years, um, you, you see it in a lot of op-eds and various papers around the country, and, and most oftentimes it's, if you dig down, it's by someone that's, uh, you know, not, not too uh, conservative principles. You know, they talk about, hey, this is a bad idea because you could have a runaway convention of where just you toss out the Constitution how about you uh, just talk about you know talk about that possibility if it exists sure. at all? Well, it, it's it's his favorite scare tactic, and the, and the person that invented that scare tactic was the former Chief Justice of the United States, Warren Burger. Hmm. Um, he was the Chief Justice that joined the majority opinion, fashioned the majority opinion in Roe versus Wade, and at the time he started this scare tactic, there were 19 states that applied for a convention of the states to reverse Roe versus Wade. And so he went to a, a woman that he knew was a conservative leader at the time. Uh, she's since passed away and, and convinced her that it would result in a runaway convention. So six states repealed the Roe versus Wade um, applications that, that were pending. So we went from six, 19 to back to 13 states, and it killed the momentum of that, of that effort. And he, so he got a conservative person to do his dirty work. But, but basically, um, the argument is, is defies the, the real history of the U.S. Constitution, and it's based on people who can't count. Because <laughs> the, the way the process works is 38 states have to ratify. And for something to be ratified, you know, think of any crazy thing you want to think of. You know, the most common thing we'll hear is, well, they'll repeal the Second Amendment. I used to be on one of the uh, boards of the NRA. So if, if uh, uh, you know, anybody's going to repeal the Second Amendment, it would be over my dead body. Um, but but nonetheless, the you can't do that because, A, it's not germane under the application, and, B, you couldn't get 13 – you couldn't get 38 states to ratify because 13 states, if they vote no, it's no. So there are 25 states that have constitutional concealed carry is their law. Uh, you think you can't get 13 states to vote against um, messing with the Second Amendment? It's just it's not, it's political nonsense and naivete. The way I like to summarize it, it's hard to do something that's good. It's impossible to do something that's crazy because the way the math works, it just can't happen. And the, 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 they back this up with a you know, supposed to historical argument that um, says that, well, the original Constitutional Convention was a runaway. Well, that, that's a, another Warren Berger, you know, popularized that myth. And the truth is that it's just, that's just historical fallacy because the, the document that they quote for that proposition 
is, comes from the Articles of Confederation Congress that was simply endorsing the idea of the May 1787 Convention. And in that endorsement document, which has the same legal effect as a National Pickle Week resolution today, <laughs> it, it said, well, we, all, we think you should only amend the Articles of Confederation. They treat that endorsement as the instructions to the delegates. But anybody that knows American history knows that the Articles of Confederation Congress didn't have any power to call any conventions. They didn't call the conventions. The states called the conventions. And what the states told their delegates to do was, and I'm quoting now, render the federal constitution adequate for the existencies of the union. So if somebody wants to check out that work, you can, you can Google my last name, which is Ferris, F-A-R-R-I-S, and then put in the words define conventional wisdom, and you can read the article that I wrote in the Harvard Journal of Law and Public Policy, which is the conservative journal, law school journal at Harvard. And you can read the full details of how we got our Constitution, because you know people claim to be constitutionalists on one hand, and then they say it was illegally adopted on the other. That's nonsense. If you're for the Constitution of the United States, you'd better know the facts about it, and you better understand that it was adopted legally, because it was. That's just the historical fact. It was adopted legally. They did the pro- procedures properly. And we can take pride in our Constitution. And it's, it's the people who want to undermine the Constitution that are doing this runaway convention argument. Well, one of the three areas you mentioned that uh, is term limits. Do you think there's a possibility that some state uh, legislatures will be you know, against this idea because many of them don't have term limits themselves? Yeah, I would say that it's one of the most popular ideas among the people and one of the least popular ideas among legislators. And um, if, you know, if I had to choose my top five priorities, um, uh, stopping the federal runaway spending would be pretty, you know, one or two. Uh, Stopping them from using treaties to change the laws of America would be up there pretty high as well. Um, there's this thing that's happening right now with the Biden administration. They are um, negotiating a treaty with the World Health Organization. And, and the fairest way to say this, and just to you know, use my resume for a second, I have an LLM in public international law from the University of London. And so when I, when I say what the effect of a treaty, I, I know what I'm talking about. And, and that is the, the, a treaty transfer, when the United States adopts a treaty, the, the body that has the power to enforce it is the federal government. That's just the nature of treaty law. And so, so the, the, the subject of the treaty is pandemics, and it, it would transfer jurisdiction from the states. We saw some states be good in, on the way they handled pan, the, the, the COVID pandemic. Other states didn't do so well. But it was a state-based um, option. That would go away, and the federal government would do it all. And so uh, – and – they're trying to bring this treaty through without even ratifying it in the U.S. Senate. They're just going to call it an executive agreement. Yeah. And the Supreme Court messed that up in the 1940s under FDR and created this category that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world of so-called executive agreement. We can fix all that with the Convention of States so they can never do these executive agreements again. And, and that's exactly the kind of thing that we need to do. And we've got to stop the runaway of the federal government. And so, again, the question boils down. Do you think Congress should decide how much power the federal government should have, or do you think the state should decide how much power the federal government should have? If you think the state should decide, then you should support the resolution there here in North Carolina and urge your senator to call 
uh, call them and urge them to vote for this resolution. And if you think that Congress should keep deciding and the federal government should keep going on its merry way, then you should call them and tell them to vote against it. Yeah, so you're you're saying – you're asking our listeners to to call their state senators and encourage them to pass Joint Resolution 235. It didn't pass last time around in the North Carolina Senate. Do you have any insight as to why that was besides the fact Um, that you didn't have the votes? No, uh, it, well, the, 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 it's the runaway convention issue that's the that's the the, the problem, and you know we we've talked to that, and some of the biggest component of uh, proponents of that um, have left the Senate, and so I was there this morning talking to senators, and so I'm pretty encouraged about our vote count. We're we're real close. We're um, you know we're real close, and, and it's and it's looking real positive. Uh, we we made some progress this morning, and so I'm I'm hopeful. Um, but you know, the main thing I would tell people when they call or email or write is be real respectful. Just say, you know, sure. I, I, you know, I'm I'm your constituent. Don't call anybody other than your own senator. You know, I'm your I'm your constituent, and I uh, I would strongly encourage you to do this because I think the states need to take over um, some supervision. I my, my wife and I have ten kids, and um, so I know a little something about raising kids. It's like having a kid. And never disciplining them until they're 18 years old, um, you'd have a mess on your hands. And the same thing has happened: is the the federal government has a parent, if you will, and that's the state legislatures, because they're given this unique power to change their instructions. Say, no, no, you, you didn't understand what we meant by the commerce clause, or you didn't understand what we meant by the general welfare clause. We got to fix this so that you get it right. Um, and and so the. Um, um, states have that authority, and with that authority, I, I suggest they have the moral responsibility to step up to the plate and and do it. And you know, some people. The other argument I hear the most commonly is, "Well, the, we, we we don't follow the Constitution right now. How would amending it change anything?" Well, that's. I mean, I, I get what that frustration's about, but just think about it for a second. The Eleventh Amendment said you can't sue states directly. That's enforced. The 13th Amendment says you can't have slaves. That's enforced. The uh, 15th Amendment says um, you can't deny the vote on the, on the basis of race. That's enforced. The 19th Amendment says women can vote. That's enforced. You know, the, the uh, 26th Amendment, uh, or I think, or uh, 25th Amendment, I think, is the 18-year-old vote. That's enforced. And so the idea that amendments won't be enforced is nonsense. Just go look at the, read the amendments and see that they're enforced. They are enforced. And so um, do, does, is the whole, all the Constitution um, done perfectly in, in the Supreme Court? No. The Supreme Court gets stuff wrong read, readily and, and unfortunately regularly as well. Um, but in, you know, in general terms, the amendments are, are more enforced appropriately than the original Constitution. It should all be enforced according to its original meaning. But we can fix things in, in a single subject rule, fixing the rule on treaties, getting general welfare clause right, getting the uh, uh, commerce clause right. That all can be done, and that can be enforced. Is there a timeline that you have to have this complete by to get the 34 states? No. Um, it's, it, un, unless the state legislature uh, puts in a timeline, then there's not. I actually am one of the few lawyers in the country that's litigated an Article 5 case because when I was brand new out of law school, um, Congress changed the rules on ratifying the Equal Rights Amendment. Originally, it was given seven years, 
And um, they didn't have to put a deadline in, but they did. They put a seven-year deadline in, and they got close to that end, and they said, we're not going to get there. So they extended the deadline for purportedly for three and a half years. And I filed the first lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of that. My case got consolidated with a case that got, was filed a couple weeks later, and we worked together. And the ruling was, you can't change the rules in the middle of the stream. And so... Um, but so if a, if a state legislature put it, uh, you know, our, our resolution is only good for five years or 10 years, that would apply. But if they don't, then it's, it's there until 34 states act on it. And, but I would expect that once we get to the ratification stage, then I think there would be a time limit and it probably will be seven years. That's the typical one that has been used for the vast majority of amendments in the last hundred years. And once you have the 34 states and you have the convention, then you need 38 states to ratify it. Listen, I love what you're doing, and I'm behind you 110%, and and go for it. And I'll I'll do all I can to help promote it here on the program. But just a realistic question, are are there 38 states that are conservative enough, are are constitutionally minded enough to – to pass these uh, three proposals that you would uh, call for. Now, uh, again, I, perhaps not all three would pass, but uh, let's say all three did pass. Uh, are, are there, you know, are, are there 13 states out there that are liberal enough to say we're not going to vote for this? Uh, I mean, I, I fear there might be. Yeah, you're, you're right on, on certain points. I mean, the, the, I, I think the single subject rule, we could probably get that one to 38 without too much trouble. Um, and that would be a big deal because nobody should like the idea of, you know, bills that are so big that Congress can't read. Right. That, that, one's, that one's pretty straightforward, and that would help. Um, but here's what's going to happen, um, and it's going to change the political understanding of our country for a long time. If we get to 34 states and we have the convention, it's going to be televised. And for probably mm-hmm. six months is about how long the convention would probably last. You're going to, everybody in America is going to watch people debating federalism and limitations on the power of the federal government. And there's going to be discussions that the press can't control about the powers of Congress and how these are being abused and treaties and how they're being abused. People find out that, that half of our treaties are never ratified by the Senate. People are outraged to learn that. Right. And so we're going to be, we're going to be doing the biggest civics government class in the history of our country for the whole country. And I think it's going to change the political climate of the country. And I think that there are, after that happens, I think there will be 38 states where the people are sufficiently conservative because they have been newly trained in the Constitution and in the principles of of liberty and limited government. I think we, we, we get to a majority after that kind of historical, broad education on the Constitution and on the limitations of power. I hope and I pray that you are correct. And, uh, you know, I, I look back at the the Watergate hearings, and that was an education, and it was must-see TV. People were glued yeah. to that. Yeah, well, the, the, the one incident that was like that that I remember that really um, gives me hope is um, I'm actually friends with Ollie North, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and we go to the same grocery store. His son-in-law pastors a town, uh, a church in the town I live in, and... Uh, and so, but when he was first being brought before Congress for hearings, uh, and, and everybody had gotten their news through the filtered news media, it was, you know, people didn't know what to think about Ollie North. 
And the first day of those hearings, the, the senators and congressmen were just horrible to him. And then people got to hear Ollie North directly themselves in these televised hearings. And America loved this guy. Right. They saw he was a patriot. They, they loved him. And, the, and, and that changed public opinion so much that the senators and congressmen heard from their constituents, and they flipped. Every one of them started being so nice to him and praising him and da 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 it, it changed the country. And so that, that example burns bright in my memory that when people get to hear it directly in an unfiltered fashion, people change, and, right. and, and, and they express it to their, their, their elected leaders, and things happen. It, it, I, I believe that it, it can happen, and it can happen in a big way. So you have two town halls, one tonight in Greenville, tomorrow night in Wilmington. What can our listeners expect if they attend either one of those town halls? Well, tonight, um, Mark Meckler and I are uh, the, the co-founders of Convention Estates. Um, my, my background is, with, you know, with homeschool legal defense and alliance defending freedom. Mark was the co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots, um, and uh, we are here tonight uh, together and uh, going to be speaking. And, and you know, we'll, we'll give a basic history and legal lessons. I'm kind of the legal expert guy. Mark's a lawyer too, but he's more of a political guy. And um, and then um, plenty of time for questions and answers. We love questions from people, and so if they have questions about this and want to, you know, get all their questions and hear all the answers, we're glad to help them because uh, an educated populace is what's needed for the protection of liberty. And so this is uh, uh, this is something that you know I would really hope that people would take the time. And uh, it, you know, it's about the future of the country. And this is right. this is the the biggest effort I know of for the long-term protection of liberty that's going on in the country. And it's right here in your backyard, and you've got the two co-founders side-by-side tonight, and he's from, he's from Texas, and I'm from Virginia, and uh, we're here to help. Now, I, I, by the way, I do have uh, five grandchildren that are pretty close to your listening area, maybe in it, and so I, I claim North Carolina a little bit, too. There you go. Well, uh, the events are tonight, again, at the Stokes Family Farm. That's at 3674 Ivy Road in Greenville. Tomorrow night, and tonight's is from 6 to 8 o'clock. Tomorrow night from 6.30 to 8 at the Community Arts Center, 120 South 2nd Street in Wilmington. Um, great. Uh, thank you so much for what you're doing. Um, this is a, uh, I'm sure it's a labor of love, but I'm sure labor is uh, often in the forefront uh, just because it's such a mammoth uh, task that you've undertaken. But uh, thank you for heading this up. Uh, you know, it's it's. I, I hope, I hope one day history will paint this as a, a major victory to uh, save our republic, and uh, it, something like this needs to happen for it to uh, take place. Well, it, it's an honor to to be a part of making history. But if it's going to happen, it's going to happen because the grassroots do it. Yes. Um, uh, you know, people like me can come along, and you know give a little instruction, a little encouragement, but until the grassroots catch, catch the vision and get on fire, um, it's not going to happen. There's about two and a half million people that have signed our petition online. So, um, we, you know, encourage that as well at cosaction.org. And, uh, but, um, the, uh, but the reality is we need the grassroots. And, and, and so, um, there's about an, on an average of 2000, to 3,000 um, North Carolinians who have signed our petition in every state legislative district. And so, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good number. Um, right. 
but but it just needs to be twenty thousand or thirty thousand. So the more the merrier. And and we love uh, opportunity to speak to people here on your program, and I appreciate you guys uh, keeping this up. One of my part time gigs is I'm the general counsel for national religious broadcasters. So you know, keep it up. You know, well, yeah, I'm really glad that you're. Uh, um, doing what you're doing, and uh, thank you for your support and your encouragement. And uh, you know we're here for you, and and we appreciate your part in making history as well. You bet, Michael Harris. Thank you so much. Thanks. Stay with us, Bye-bye. Tom and Benny. I'll be right back. This is your drive at five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk ninety six point three and one zero three seven. Welcome back in. Taking a quick look at your weather forecast. Tonight, clear skies, a low near 30. So uh, chances are you're going to get frost. Uh, if not tonight, then tomorrow night. Tomorrow is sunny skies with a high of 56. Tomorrow night, the low is 28. Mm-hmm. So all that warm weather that you enjoyed a couple of weeks ago, False. please get it back. False spring. Hey, we had we actually had snow on Sunday. Really? Yeah, it was snowing. I mean, well, you know, that's true. I remember Sunday morning there was some ice on the windshield. I mean, it w- it was snowing the biggest flakes, and it was like thirty eight degrees. <laughs> I did not see any snow, but uh, I'm not yeah. way out in the country. I mean, the, you know, the city's so much warmer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I first thought it was those. You know, when I first saw it, I thought it was those stinking Bradford pear flowers that you know are so invasive in North Carolina. But uh, anyway, there was snow. It was Mister Happy. Stinking Bradford <laughs> No, it was, You know the Bradford yeah, pear trees yeah, that yeah, everybody yeah. had to plant? Well, yeah. well, they're one of the most invasive plants in North Carolina. If you see one, kill it. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Not only do they stink, <laughs> they stink but the, the flowers, uh, you know, the, the birds transport their seeds all over the place, and they just take over, and they uh, – and they just shade out indigenous plants, and it's it's not good. I mean, hmm. look it up. There you go. I didn't know we were a gar- home and garden show, but there you have it. Well, you know, <laughs> I am president of the Know It All Club. <laughs> uh, by the way, weather wise, Friday is the day to get out. If you can sneak out, it's going to be a high of seventy four. So hmm. uh, there you have it. Early early taping. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or or early golf one yeah. or the other. So um, one o'clock tea time. Boy, inflation numbers were out. Not good. Uh, although Joe just said, didn't he just say recently inflation was under control? Oh, God. Joe Flation, yeah. yeah. Joe Flation. He doesn't what happened? Clue. Headline uh, CPI increased 0.4% month over month. It is up 6% year over year. Uh, but the core CPI number, which excludes food and energy, came in at 0.5% month over month, hotter than expected. Uh, meeting an estimated 5.5% year-over-year. Some of the goodies that you now have to pay more for, uh, shelter accounting for over 70% of the increase. In the last 12 months, energy costs have surged 13.3%. But Joe will come out and tell you how gasoline is down from where it was a few months ago. Yeah, I'm just amazed that when he came out, uh, I guess it was yesterday morning, trying to ease her mind about the banking the banks, si- yeah. situation yeah. just you know he just continues to go into this narrative it's i mean it's lie it's mere lies and i i just don't understand how he's not being challenged by the media um speaking of lies do you mind if i just change you got that clip in there uh clark joe I, i'm sorry the guy is a chronic 
liar. I, I know he's our president, but the guy can't help himself. I, and people forget, or some people forget, that you know he he got kicked out of the presidential yeah. campaign in nineteen eighty four, maybe for plagiarizing for plagiarizing. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. and I mean, and he plagiarized to the hilt. <laughs> the only thing he did was change the name of the. It was a guy in England. Yeah, and he changed. I mean, he used his speech. <laughs> Except he put in his wife's name in place of the the guy in England who but, gave the speech. But you know, we all everyone knows a Joe Biden. Oh yeah, everybody went oh, yeah. to college with a Joe yeah, Biden. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's full of crap. Crap. <laughs> Joe Biden was interviewed by Comedy Central's Cal Penn. Is that the guy's real name, Cal Penn? <laughs> Is that a mm. joke? <laughs> Biden was asked about his evolution on marriage equality, gay marriage. Here's his answer. I can remember exactly where my uh, epiphany was. Okay. I hadn't thought much about it, to tell you uh-huh. the truth. And I was, a, I was a senior in high school, and my dad was dropping me off. And I remember about to get out of the car, and I looked to my right, and two well-dressed men in suits kissed each other. I mean, they gave each other a kiss. And then one went, looked like he was heading to the DuPont building, and one looked like he headed to the Hercules Corporation building. And I'll never forget, I turned and looked to my dad, he said, Joey, it's simple. They love each other. It's simple. No, I'm not joking. It's simple. They love each other. And it's never been, it's, it's, it's never been, it's just that simple. It doesn't matter whether it's, whether it's same sex or a heterosexual couple. You should be able to be married. What is the problem? The problem is you're a liar. <laughs> Listen, he graduated from high school in 1961. I mean, this is just a total fabrication. Was I there? Do I have empirical evidence that he's lying about this? It's pretty self-evident. In 1961, you did not see two men in suits in public kissing each other. You did not see it. You did not hear even homosexuals talking about how we advocating for homosexual wedding you didn't it was not there and and when he phrases and, and he does it all the time when he phrases you know seriously or not joking no joke man no that means you're lying yeah exactly <laughs> come on <laughs> he made up the story that's a light going off liar liar I, liar he's been making up stories for 50 years in washington Gosh. come on man but but beyond that look at biden's record he opposed same-sex sex marriage for decades yeah Biden voted in favor of the Defense of Marriage Act in 1996. That wasn't that long ago, which defined marriage as between one man and one woman. He said he was opposed to former President George W. Bush's amending the Constitution to define marriage as between a man and a woman, but referenced his support for the Defense of Marriage Act to do so. In 2006, Biden said, we already have a law, the Defense of Marriage Act. We voted on it. Or I, or not, I voted and others voted for it. Look, marriage is between a man and a woman. The states must respect that. Nobody's violated the law. There's been no challenge to the law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. And now he comes out and says, oh, back in 1961. Well, well, you know, the, the, who was it he was uh, being interviewed by? Uh, in oh, that, this interview? Yeah, on that This interview. guy, Cal Penn from Comedy oh, yeah, Central, yeah. who's yeah. A, a, a homosexual who's getting ready to marry his partner. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, the Democrats, and, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of young people think Comedy Central is, is a freaking source of news. Yeah. But anyone that has any knowledge at all about politics could have, you know, fired back with a qu- simple question. Well, in 2008, uh, your running mate, President Barack Obama, believe that marriage between a man and woman is is that right. not right did you how did y'all how yeah. did y'all resolve that 
between you or reconcile that between you. I mean, there, here again, another issue yeah. of yeah. our country cannot – our constitutional country and the way, way we are, a republic of sovereign states, cannot survive without an honest press. And we don't have an honest press. Well, and we don't have an honest president. No. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Drive. The drive home should be a delight. This is Tom Lamprecht with more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Uh, Clark, I, I usually don't do this on the air, but uh, we went so long with uh, Michael Ferris. Do we have another break before the har- we do. Okay. Well, this is going to be a short segment then. <laughs> um, I do want to mention, though, the Carolina Journal is reporting this afternoon that the North Carolina Supreme Court signaled today that it might make a significant change in the redistricting, in the redistricting case. That's a tough mm. That uh, produced the word or the case? <laughs> the word. <laughs> the word. <laughs> produced a party line 4-3 ruling three months ago. I, I love this. Uh, Phil Starch, who is representing the uh, GOP before the Supreme Court, said uh, legis- – this is how he, he summarized the Harper versus Hall case, which is now being reheard. Legislature, you were Charlie Brown. We, the court – he's referring to the old Supreme Court. We, the court, are Lucy. And we're going to pull that football right from out from underneath you because we didn't really mean what we said when we thought there was a clear rule that you could follow. Starts went on to say, instead, it's now going to be a holistic rule based on a bunch of expert reports that we, the court, will decide what the map will look like, ultimately based on a constellation of standards that only we know. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was ridiculous. It, it was it was whack a mole. Every time the the North Carolina legislature put forth a new map, suddenly, oh, the rules changed. Yep. No, that's not good enough. Rules changed. Uh, anyway, there there were uh, while as you can imagine, uh, Anita Earls went uh, basically ballistic, and she was pretty much outraged that we that you know that, that this court would even consider overturning this. Um, talking about what quote she said you're asking us to say that in spite of those facts this north carolina constitution offers no protection to the voters in other words if the supreme court isn't there to quote protect the voters well listen the voters voted in the legislature Mm -hmm. that is there Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and, and she i mean she has zero constitutional argument for her position zero it's just that she's been a partisan person her entire adult life and why why is she going to change once she gets on the supreme court so this is the first hearing today uh on wednesday they will hear the uh, voter id case Mm. so uh, busy time it's a busy week stay with us we'll be right back back to news and views talk 96.3 and 103.7 you know, it's really interesting, this uh, Silicon Valley bank that collapsed uh, almost overnight, uh, they're now finding out. Now, of course, you know, the, the liberals, uh, Joe Biden came out and tried to blame Donald Trump, which is really interesting. Barney Frank, 
who was one of the authors of the Dodd-Frank bill, came out and said, no, that, you know, what what happened under Donald Trump had no effect. You know, that wasn't the cause of the bank collapse. But what is interesting uh, of the 12 members on the Silicon Valley Bank board, um, there were a bunch of uh, liberals, oh, yeah. a, a bunch of uh, Hillary Clinton supporters, a mega donor. Uh, there was another individual who was a former uh, Barack Obama political appointee. There was a prolific contributor to Democrats who owns a Napa Valley wine. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not those names get brought up. And, of course, yesterday we talked about the fact that uh, just the the wokeness of those people at the top. But, you know, the, the most – pardon my bluntness, but the most damning evidence of all was were the, the people at the top – jumping out selling their stock mm-hmm. which i i would think that that's got to be considered insider trading and i would think that's a criminal activity and they could be facing prison i would think but somehow guys like that and gals like that never end up being caught yeah and that's the problem the biggest culprits of the you know 2008 2009 financial fiasco i mean heck they're they're back in business you know oh, yeah. and uh that's what happens well when- the, the one guy that was at the uh silicon valley bank was the head of lehman brothers exactly and the, and the problem is you can't – capitalism can't exist with – you know, it's all about capitalism for gains, but I want socialism when there's losses. Yep. You, that can't happen. Yep. That's that's called an oligarchy, and that's that's Bingo. where we're getting more and more close to it. And, and for, for Biden to come out yesterday morning and say no taxpayer money will be spent on this, and, and yet they're going to guarantee everybody's deposit no matter whether it was greater than 250000 or not. I, I will be shocked if they can pull this off without the taxpayers getting screwed. Well, the one thing I can guarantee you is that Joe Biden doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> thanks for being with us. Our thanks to Michael uh, Ferris for joining us. And uh, we'll do it again tomorrow at 5. See you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.